Hi, I'm Shane Twist and welcome to Behind the Beef, a podcast that gives you a look behind the scenes and into the everyday activities of the people behind the beef. In my day job as Senior Marketing and Communications Officer here at Angus Australia, I work within the Marketing and Communications team, where we focus on delivering the information coming out of the society to our members and marketing the Angus breed to the wider beef industry and consumers around the country. Everybody talks about how, as Angus breeders, having a brand and marketing it are vital to create more awareness for your enterprise. At Angus Australia, we understand it can seem complex or overwhelming, both to the seasoned cattle producer and to those that are new to the game. Today's episode of Behind the Beef is designed to help bring marketing into focus and give you tips on how to boost your overall brand presence, aiming to show why Angus breeders should market their brand, how to create more awareness for your business and how to help market that hashtag Angus Premium. We will be joined by a couple of my fellow team members for a roundtable discussion on marketing and branding. So let's jump in now. Welcome, gang. Thanks for joining us for the podcast. We've got a bit of a roundtable discussion happening today. And I guess to kick us off... We might go around the table and let everybody introduce themselves and their role at Angus Australia. We'll start with you, Diana Wood. Hi everyone, I'm Diana Wood. I'm the Marketing and Communications Manager at Angus Australia. Hi, I'm Ebony. I'm the Graphic Designer Original at Angus Australia. I do the big picture stuff. Hi, I'm Kate Reynolds. I do video production. Great, so welcome. I think we've got a few newbies to the podcast today with Kate and Eb. Don't be too nervous. Mm-hmm. We're just having a cute little chat. But, it's um, fun. It's all about marketing and branding. <laughs> exactly. So uh, like Di just mentioned, today we are discussing marketing and branding. So off the top of your head, guys, what are some brands, ag industry or not, that stands out to you as a consumer? I see the logos in my head. I'm trying to remember the names that match it. McDonald's. No, yeah, that's the one that popped into my head. Like, I was thinking of actual ag ones like um, Coopers. Elders is oh, one that yeah. I thought of. Like, I feel like they've had the. I'd have to agree with Kate. McDonald's and ANZ are probably two that always come to mind with me because they do such complete marketing across the board and branding and just nail it every time. Um, but I guess a little bit closer to home. Um, I'm really loving what a verified black Angus beef brand like Angus Reserve is doing across their social media um, of late and I guess across all of their marketing material at the moment. It's very consistent and very easy to see who it is. I agree. So when it comes to marketing, marketing is identified as branding plus communications. So branding is identified as your business or brand identity, which is your image, who you are, what you look like and the feeling that your brand evokes. And then we also have communications, which is engaging with your audience, which is the who, the what, the where and the why. So what is a brand identity? Um, I guess first and foremost, to take it back a step, like in the cattle industry in particular and in the Angus world and seed stock world, a lot of our members, they brand and tag their cattle and that's how you recognise them. Um, But they're not necessarily doing the same for their business. So... When someone sees your logo, your newspaper ad um, or your flyer, do they actually know who it is that they're looking at? 
um, is the main thing. So it's thinking of it that way. You identify your cattle very easily. So are you making sure people can identify your business? Um, I guess then looking at it, ultimately your brand identity, it's the way you communicate with the world. Um, it's how you differentiate yourself from your competitors and it's all about creating that brand experience that you want customers to have and encourages people, I guess, to engage with you. Um, I know I mentioned Maccas earlier um, as someone who um, I love their just the way they brand across their entire, I guess, suite of what they do. You think about their music signature. Um, it's at the end of every advert they do. I'm not going to try and repeat that, but I'm sure you can all actually, you're playing that over in your minds now or next time. You've got a mic, Ev. Do you want to take your You want to yeah, have a go at the music? Um, I would just say that a brand identity goes beyond all that. It's your familiarity. So it's the start of a conversation and it is often what's going on behind you. So you don't even just have to think about it from the business point of it. It's like introducing yourself with a handshake. That's yeah, pretty it, much... It's the yeah. DNA of your business. So yeah. it is more than a logo on your hat or your shirt. It's exactly what you're saying. It embodies who you are, where you fit, what you do and... It says a lot why. about your values. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So there's so much more um, that goes into it. So when developing your brand identity, why is it important to identify your strengths, your weaknesses, your opportunities and your threats? Well, you can't you make know? something without any building blocks. Exactly. Yeah. Well, yeah, a lot of time and effort's gone into your breeding program so, and your business development. So why don't you spend a lot of time and effort and some money to actually brand your product and make sure people know who you are, what you do, why you're there? Um, and then you've just got to go through all those elements. But obviously identifying your strengths, weaknesses, opportunities and threats, that just, I guess, allows you to look at, um, you know, your strengths and weaknesses are your internal, um, it's what you should be looking at internally. So you can identify how you can come up with some concepts that are going to help, I guess, build on your strengths um, and alleviate or improve your weaknesses. And then you've also got to look at your opportunities and threats, which are external and then come up with ways that you're going to, I guess, how can you grab hold of that opportunity? So, for example, there might be people out there wanting to get into buying Angus books for the first time this season. So how are you going to be the person they recognise? Um, and then obviously you've got to look at your threats as well and you go, well, how can you overcome that? So there's a lot of things like environmental factors that play into this that you can't control. But at the same time, you can ensure that, you know, in the middle of the drought, if there are people still looking for bulls, that you are first and foremost the person they're looking for. The other thing is, though, it doesn't have to be super scary working out your strengths and weaknesses. Yeah, it can be literally just sitting down like we are at a table today, writing strengths, weaknesses, opportunities and threats and listing what comes to your mind and saying these are the things that, off the top of my head, when I'm thinking about the business that I want to have, this is the different, you know, thing. and that way you can actually just look at it and go, well, these are the plainest things that I need to be, you know, thinking about and concerned about, but also building on when I'm starting to build this whole brand image and identity. It puts down on paper, you've got right in front of you what you do well, but also a weakness isn't a permanent thing. It is something that you can be like, well, actually, I can fix that. Yeah, you can improve on it or you yeah. can put in, like, steps in place that can ensure you overcome that and it's as coming back to what Eb was saying earlier about the experience it's 
branding really is so important because people forget what you said, they'll forget what you did, but they never forget how you make them feel. So it comes back to what you said about the handshake that you just need to ensure people have a great experience when it comes to dealing with your brand. And realistically, if you have, say for example of being an Angus breeder, if you have a breeding program in place, you've already sat down and thought, righto, so I want to breed high carcass yields for a feedlot environment. Great, that's your strength. What's your weakness? Your weakness might, what's, what's, what's the opposite of carcass weight? Um, I'm actually asking. <laughs> I can't. But do you know what I mean? Like the weakness would be you might not have the best days to carving and that's fine, but that suits a different clientele, which is a whole other ballgame. That's for someone else. But you've already identified your strengths by breeding for that. Yeah, absolutely. It's yeah, ensuring that your branding and marketing actually meets the product yeah. um, that you're putting out there. Because it's no point saying yeah, you're breeding for IMF. Um, telling everyone you're breeding for IMF if you're not choosing those genetics. Yeah, it's identifying your story too. Yeah. It's yeah. identifying basically what you want to be telling your consumer, what you want your, I don't know, it's the, to use buzzwords, but it is a storytelling process as well about who you are, what oh, your absolutely. business is. Exactly. Like you can have the best quality in the world and you know that you do a great job, but it's that first impression that people have when they walk through the door and say, oh, this looks great, their, uh, their branding shows that that quality extends across everything they do, so their work will be good. Whereas you might have the best quality in the world, but you, someone comes along and your website needs work or you know, things are inconsistent, and that will take away, and it doesn't matter how good your work is at, at that point, uh, it's, it's that first handshake there being brought up that, that will seal the deal for you. And it's very hard to get a second impression after you've had a bad first impression. So what are the first steps to identifying your brand identity? Well, a number of these actually come from an article that Ev wrote um, many, <laughs> many that, years ago. I'm better in notes. print. I'm not as good thinking <laughs> <in> about <my mind. laughs> Um, but no, we have um, probably good time to just note that we do have a number of resources on our website um, that have been written over the years to, I guess, give you some hot tips on branding and marketing. And this is where some of this comes from. But we sort of break it down into four main areas. So it's to know your audience. So who are your target customers and consumers? Um, and to do this successfully, you need to examine who you are actually targeting. That is how old are they? Where do they live? What do they do in their spare time? What is their livelihood? Questions like that, that while they may not seem relevant, really are because then you know how to target them and how to get to those guys. So these things and other will influence how you develop your brand and it can be helpful to characterise the different groups of people you are targeting and actually create a customised approach to each while sticking to your overall branding strategy because not everyone is going to be on social media. So you need to ensure that while you are very active on social media, you're still particularly in the beef industry going to be targeting um, customers that are only reading the newspapers. So you need to have be looking at print and things like that and you're going to do things differently. It's actually, just skipping forward a little bit, when it comes to learning who your audience is for your brand identity, that does come into play with how it visually translates later. If you have got a predominantly older audience, you need to think about that with your font sizes, with like what type of graphics you use. Whereas if you know you're only going to be marking in a digital space, you have a lot more freedom to change and pretty much adapt for younger eyes 
younger I guess trends that people are sort of on board with you can make it a bit different of a joke if you need to if that's your way so it does actually count a lot for presentation yeah absolutely it's all about adapting to your audience not just having a it's not a one-size-fits-all in this day and age then I guess the next step is that you need to identify what actually sets you apart so why are your bulls better than the neighbors what makes you or your business individual is it strength in your business, your customer service, how you raise your bulls, um, are you grass-fed only? And I guess it's really important to guide people to your brand by showing them what it is about you and why it is worth looking at you. Um, it's also good to obviously look at your competitors. Building that brand identity, it's all about differentiation. You need to be visible, relevant and unique, but without a firm understanding of what the competitive landscape's like, it's easy to just blend in. Uh, and do the same thing that your competitors are doing. So, you know, why why are they going to pick you? So it's crucial, um, not just who your competition is, but how your brand compares in perception and presentation. One thing here is, big thing about this is key messages. So if you meet someone down the street and they're partially interested in buying a bull, what, what is that main takeaway that you need them to remember about you when they leave? You know, I like to make sure there's three key messages that you take away from things, but... Even if it's one, you just stick to it. You play it in a few different ways. But you, if you don't know what your key message is, nobody else is going to know what it is. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> um, obviously, we've mentioned research as well. Coming back to, uh, I think, something we said at the beginning, you've obviously spent time and money into your breeding program and you've done a lot of research to come up with those breeding decisions, like what bulls you're going to use over what cows. You do the same when you're buying a new car or a new farm or changing banks so developing your brand should actually be I guess no different. Eb sort of mentioned the three key messages there like you've got to I guess look really internally to get to the core of your brand because only then once you've got you know um, that intimate knowledge can you translate it into a visual language so it's knowing what those key messages are you want to tell people and then you can start to look at those things those aspects like graphics and fonts your tone of voice and your colours that all identify with who you are and what those key messages are. And as part of that, when you do know your key message, you research so you can back it up no matter what someone questions you. Because if you don't know, if you don't know your facts, yeah, then exactly. you know, yeah, you've yeah. got to have your story straight. Yeah, exactly. I guess it, it's all coming back to that whole, um, I guess, not saying something that's not true. Like if you say you're breeding for IMF, um, but then you can have a look at your genetics and it can become obvious that maybe that's not the way you're going or... You know, you're talking about growth rates and things like that. But again, looking at the genetics you're using, um, that may not necessarily be the case. Yeah, um, you've got to know your product and you've got to know everything about it pretty yeah, much. Yeah, absolutely. Especially with such a high competition rate out there. Yep. You know, it's one thing yeah. to say I'm different, but you've got to back it. Yeah. Yep. And of course, we come back to looking at what your competitors are doing. Um, you can, you know, see how good branding has helped some of them as well as how bad branding, branding can be setting them back. It's something as simple as... Um, you know the photos and videos that you're using to promote your business Um, obviously there's certain ways that you should be setting up photos and videos which I think we're going to touch on um, that side of things later more so from Kate's area but that can have an effect on the perception that people have Um, and that comes down not even just in your sale time or anything that's like on social media yeah it's on you know if you're trying to promote your brand in any way you want the best foot yeah. forward so it comes down to even if it's just a quick snap you're taking of an afternoon of your herd 
is it something that you actually want them seeing? Is it representing your herd in the best way possible? It's oh, absolutely. It's the whole big yeah. picture. It's not, you know, if it is a bit, this is a business, it's not sort of your personal stuff. This, well, it might be your personal journey. It might be your personal business. It is a business at the end of the day. You, you're selling a product. You want the, your consumers to see the best version of that at all times. And you sort of need to remember, this is a bit of a side pass, but if you are the face of your business, people who care about what you're putting on your own social yes, channels exactly. and everything, you know, you're yeah. always a reflection of your business. And that might be what sets you apart. Your competitors might be on the game all the time and it's consistent through their channels for business and so, like personal but if you're dropping the ball, that might slip up something in your consistency. And you yeah, just need absolutely. to be aware of that. Yeah, yeah. Um, Potential purchases don't differentiate between business pages and no. personal pages. Especially in something that it is honestly an emotive process, buying stock. You know, you're investing in it. It's not just money, but this is your future. Yeah. People care. People and care about your family, what you're doing, everything. Exactly. And you know how people say when they're drilling into kids these days, whatever you post on the internet stays on the yes. internet forever. It's the same with your business identity. And if you post something a little that people aren't the biggest fan of three years ago, they'll still remember it today. And people screenshot, don't forget. <laughs> <laughs> this is the internet age we're living in. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So, yes, branding is very emotive and it can come back to so many choices you make will impact people in an emotional, have an emotional response. So how can setting goals at the beginning benefit the fluidity of the process when you're building your brand identity? Well, if nothing else, sometimes it can get really overwhelming and you don't know what you're doing. If you have that set of goals, you can just go, right, take a break, going back to start, what did I actually want to set out to do? And then you can reevaluate and say, well, actually, I haven't been doing that. I've sort of been demonstrating this. I need to bring it back here. It's a way to check yourself, if nothing else. I guess it just, it gives you something to aim for, like, we say it all the time you've got to have a plan otherwise you don't actually know what you're doing or what you're following so your goal may be uh, that you've decided that next year you are going to do a complete brand revamp so you want to start looking at how you're currently doing things identify the ways you can do it better but then you're going to start looking at the nitty-gritty types of things like the colors the fonts you want to use the graphics you want to use and then starting to look at the quality you want to produce. Talking about strategizing. So a lot of particularly what I do here, but as we all work in as a group together, is everything that Angus Australia do, we strategize in terms of communicating. If we have a news item coming out, whether it be spring inventories due or something like that, we put it into a strategy or a plan in which we plan out the nitty gritty details of everything. So it's identifying the key messages that Ebony pointed out before. We usually have at least three. Yep. Then we also identify our target audiences. So who we are specifically targeting this information to, whether it be our mem- just our members or just people that utilize the taste evaluation. If we're looking to target rural media with what we're trying to put out as well. So it comes down to that as well. And then we determine what assets we're going to use, what dates we're going to be releasing information, everything. Right down to what what day we're going to be posting it on social media, that kind of thing. We also plan it across all of our various channels. So we identify sometimes as well, even to the point whether or not it's necessary to be on certain channels if it's not exactly relevant to that audience that we know is on our Twitter channel, for example. So 
everything that you guys have pointed out already, it all comes down to strategizing. And that can also, while this may seem quite on a micro level, considering we do it for every single piece of information that we put out, it is relevant to a producer who is starting their brand identity and starting that first initial, I guess, launch even of, you know, strategizing what they're going to be releasing, how they're going to be developing this identity or developing the first release of information about their brand or their stud or whatever like that. So I guess starting from scratch, it's important to identify also, so starting with that target market, making sure that you're identifying, because then it comes down to the marketing mix as well. So that's your product, your place, your promotion and your price. Now price probably isn't as important when we're talking about it on this level, because also when you're selling bulls, it can be a little determined on, you know, the climate at the time. But when it comes down to your product, your place and your promotion, it's important to identify those aspects of your business when you're building your brand identity. So what kind of promotion that you'll be doing, uh, what your product is, how you're packaging that product to your audiences that you've already identified and also your place is like, are you going to be, well, place in this sort of aspect, I guess, is brick and mortar store versus online or whatever. But there's also the aspect of, are you going to be using your website as a main driving selling point? It works into your promotion. Are you going to be looking at that real grassroots sort of marketing as well? So that's like identifying, comes back to your target audience, but are you going to be doing print and newspaper? Are you doing digital marketing online? What kind of format are you going to be hitting your audiences at? to try and build that brand identity and that brand place in the marketplace. In terms of place as well within the agricultural sphere, I think it's really important to note a pretty common place that people forget about is a conversational sphere. So the way you're telling a story to someone is exactly, they're going to capture how you felt, your impression and everything, and they're going to pass that on. And that can really play a big part in how someone perceives your brand. You know, if, if I can say to Dive, you know, Shane, Shane's all right. She, she's, she's pretty informative, I, but I didn't trust what she was saying. That's a very different... I'm not saying it's... What are you trying to say? <laughs> <laughs> but, like, if I can say, like, do you know what? She was well-informed. I really got that she had my best interests. You know, that is a very big part of marketing and it's a big part of your brand identity. It's just... I don't know. I just think the conversational sphere is sort of... People don't think about it, but what you say is super, super important in how you phrase it, how you put the emotion into it. And just even the way, what's the word? Afflection. Afflection in your voice. Like little things like that is actually part of your brand identity. And that is important. Oh, absolutely. Like you said, the last thing you want someone doing is walking away from a conversation they've had with you and go on, you know, that person was absolutely full of it. Yeah. And yeah. so much of, particularly in our industry, when you're buying cattle off other people, other producers it's and all stuff. Word like it's all word of mouth. A lot of it, yeah, exactly, is word of mouth. It's... My mate bought cattle from them. Yeah, you know how to go. What yes, are they were thoughts? either easy to deal with, or you yeah. know they let me down a bit. They were hard to get the delivery. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. That's people don't think about, but that is part of your whole brand strategy. Yeah, it's your whole. It's the whole package. Yeah, it comes back to it the, how it. they make you feel. Yeah, yeah and absolutely. and when not even when you're starting from scratch, but if you need to strategize in how to revamp and change a certain perception, that's that's the place to start, and then you start branching out from that. I reckon. And the good tip also, like what I have described in terms of, you know, your strategy can be quite overwhelming for someone straight away because they may not be familiar with how to even sort of 
really narrow down your target audience and stuff like that. It can be as simple as creating a spreadsheet with your goals in there and saying, this is what we want to tick off. This is the first steps that we want to make. It may be, I'm starting a social media account for the business. That's the thing, what it are we can be as with? simple you know, as that. Like, but yeah. that's a big accomplishment too. It is, but it, and it's know? such an important integral part, particularly in a digital age like we're living in now. A brand identity, so often people will go straight online to a website or a social media page to get a little bit of extra information that they're not aware of and to have a, and you know, how often have we opened up our social media to find something and then they're not there. And you go, oh wow. And you can't be stressed if you can't sit out and have a website straight off the bat. Oh, exactly. Facebook is where people go straight off yeah. these days. Yeah. You go there, if you're interested, then you head to their website. you can website. run it yourself. Yep. You can really You maintain your beginning. story. Exactly. And yep. What is important about that, though, is having a bit of a think before you do it and going, what should I be posting? What should I start with? And that comes back to identifying, you know, what Di spoke about is like, you know, you identify your research and your quality. Like, it's just making sure that you identify, well, this is what I really should be starting with. What that first impression is from, you know, what you've thought about, you had a bit of a plan in place. And in terms of not getting overwhelmed in starting something like this, if your goal is start a spreadsheet, start taking stuff off, if you set up a Facebook and Instagram, you don't know what to post, you really need to think about it more. People love pictures of fuzzy calves. Just start there. Oh, yes. Pretty <laughs> pictures, scenic shots. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. That'll get you by for a while. <laughs> and, and people do love seeing the person behind. That's, that's what makes people buy them. Yeah, people exactly. aren't buying for the business all the time. It's, it's the people. Yeah, yeah people love... Uh, if you follow a business page and you see the person that's doing the things behind the scenes or you know, introduce the office staff or the people that are helping you out, they love that and it's really easy to do. It's yeah, we probably do ignore going. the fact that we're as much a service-based industry um, when it comes to selling cattle as selling a product. And yeah. people are nosy. They want to see what everyone else is doing. <laughs> yeah. They want to know when you're planting your crops. They want to know when you're weaning. They want to know how much the, you know birth weights was. Just show them. People be interested. People ask yeah, questions. Get some comments. That's how you're going to get more people seeing and, your stuff. Yeah, and also just circling back to what we've also said before, if you're not entirely sure and you're like going, oh, my God, I don't know even where to start, do have a look at some people you admire or producers or studs that you admire that have already sort of started there and got a bit of a brand going or have their brand really cemented because they're a great way of looking at your competitor and going, look, this looks... Yeah, yeah, it's successful be, for them. Yeah, it's successful yeah. for them. I should take a leaf out of that book and then also be like, how can I set myself a little bit different? And yes. also take note of how they set the tone because yeah. tone is really tricky sometimes on socials, but if you're looking and you see that they've got a calm, nice, happy tone that, you know, don't replicate it, draw inspiration. Yes, exactly. Anything else to add about strategizing your... No, I think we've covered off on that quite It's not well. scary. No. No. Sit in front of the fire and have a brainstorm. Have a chat if there's multiple of you in the business. Have a chat. Have a chat at the pub even. people. Yeah. So yep. many people have good ideas. Yes, exactly. And your mates want to help you out. And it does yeah. come back to your competitors. You might be friends with your competitor and they Perfect. might actually be willing to share some of Give their top of tips. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And this, it's, this is how we do it and this is what works yeah. for us. But also you'll find sometimes industry professionals or people you look up to, they actually love when people ask questions because exactly. it makes them feel a bit special and you'd know yourself if you get to give someone a hand with something, it makes you feel happy. And while it seems a little bit daunting and I can imagine that when you're really starting from 
the ground level and working yourself out can seem pretty daunting, but you can actually have a lot of fun with it. You can. There's some really your cool brand can be fun stuff <laughs> out there at the moment, particularly in the ag industry. Like there's some really impressive stuff that people are doing. There's a lot of scope to be different in the yeah. right way. Yeah. So I really think it. Yeah, it's just a case of making sure that you're getting those strong sort of ideas of where you want to go at the beginning and working from there. So we'll move into, I guess, the actual branding element of, you know, starting that brand identity. So probably right into your alley, Ebony. Uh, so when you're looking at it from a graphic designer perspective, if someone comes to you with a blank slate in terms of what assets they've got for their business, but have a plan for their brand identity, where do you start? Is it the logo? Is it the color scheme? Where do you, from a designer perspective? Uh, well, when people come to me and they have a bit of a plan, whether they say I know exactly what I want or I don't know, I spend a bit of time trying to get a feel for who they are as a person, you know, their business, how long they've been doing it, why they do it. And that's where it all comes from. You know, we can start with a logo and then if you want, but the you sort of, you don't get into the logo properly. Oh, I don't think as a designer until you know who you're designing for because their plan might not be the right plan, but it's your job to help them get it there. And something to consider with that too is I don't know how much emphasis people put on colour when they people are choosing their colours. So I think a lot of time people just go, oh, pink's my favourite colour, blue's my favourite colour, red's my favourite colour. So that's what you're going to use for your brand identity. But you really should research colour um, because colours resonate with your business and different colours actually evoke like specific emotional responses. So... Um, it's quite good to look these things up and actually do a little bit of research about that and what colours go with each other and what they can actually mean Um, because it's also you've got to look at those specific elements in your branding that are going to elicit the strongest emotional response and you know I guess trigger um, people wanting to come and buy from you but all at the same time being recognisable but also suiting the brand. I personally, when I'm designing a logo for someone, I, you know, someone says, I love pink. That's great. But I will base it more of the personality of, of your business than a colour. You know, we'll do do the proper thing and do the market research to work out a colour scheme. That's fine. But if you're a very happy-go-lucky sort of farm that thrives on the grass-fed beef industry, you know, we're going to go for a light and airy, warm sort of feel, if that makes sense. Whereas if you're a very, okay, EBVs are my thing, I breed for a reason, people buy for a reason, then we're going to go a bit more of a serious sort of a cooler based. It's a lot about tones as well. Like what I was saying about the colours, it's all well and good to say, well, yellow's happy, so I'm going to go happy. You know, I want to feel warm and fuzzy. But it's a very big thing about the tone of yellow as well because you can be an erratic yellow (laughs) and it's going to scare people off or you can be a really calm, lazy Sunday afternoon sort of yellow and people are going to find that a lot more trustworthy because they're not feeling rushed, if that makes sense. Good insight. I hope that helps. <laughs> I think it does. <laughs> it, it's all about the vibe you want to you want to convey. <laughs> what is the number one thing people get wrong with design aesthetic? I'm going to do one answer here and then leave it to Ev to actually get serious. Starbursts. Don't even start. <laughs> <laughs> we don't like starbursts. Well, I don't like starbursts. There's other there's other ways to get the same feel, but prettier. Um, I think the number one thing people get wrong with design aesthetic would be if you really, really, really break it down, people don't use the right fonts to convey the message. 
you know, you see it all the time. Like you can have like they use the font in the wrong way. Yeah. Or... Yeah. Like the typical like movie thriller sort of font, a horror film sort of font or like a nice, happy script font saying like, buy now or regret it. Like it's a very different feel. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like the other big thing is it's consistency across design yeah. aesthetics. So you can't use Helvetica in one ad and then you it, Times New Roman in yeah. another. It's making sure once you've got that branding and style guide set up that you use it across everything. So your social media graphics and your print adverts still convey it's the exact same branding. And more often than not, I think people probably fall into the trap of not using the same designer to do all of their assets. They try to go, oh, well, if I'm doing the newspaper, the newspaper can design the ad for me. And they will, but it won't necessarily be the way you have got it set up. Or it could be that that particular newspaper has set up your branding, so you use them to also create your digital assets that you're using elsewhere. It's just making sure you use the one design or making sure whoever's doing your design work has your branding and style guide and, in and place. And just slapping a logo on isn't going to... Is not branding. Anything. No. This will be a bit of a curveball in thinking, but I reckon probably number one thing that you can do wrong with your design aesthetic is not having someone on board on your team that you can trust to tell you that's not okay. That's not good enough. That doesn't look right. We should push it further and do this. If you have the right people on your team, you know, whether you go through a few designers or something to figure out the right fit, you need someone that can say, this isn't really working. It looks exactly the same as such and such down the road. I reckon we try this and we'll, we'll have a go on digital. You know, we'll run it this, we'll run it this year. If we like it, we'll change it. You know, that sort of thing. Like, I just think, if you don't have the right people to help you with your design aesthetic, you're not you're not going to get it right. And consistency is important. Nothing worse when they don't match and it's the same season and you you, just, you think it's six different people's ads. Yeah, and there's no flow on. There's no fluidity in what no. they're trying to... Yeah. Even just like using the wrong colour blue for six different ads. like Which is something that's so easily fixed. Yeah. If you just, you know... And it's something that stresses people like me out. <laughs> <laughs> So if someone does not have the budget for a professional designer to design a suite of assets, what is some key things they can invest in when it comes to their branding to get them started? If it was me and I was on a budget and I said, I've got 500 bucks to start me off, I would pay to get a logo done properly and ask them for a quick reference style guide in that where they give you an example of how to use your color, like your logo on color and then just white, do you know what I mean? Just even two options. They give you the main fonts and they give you the color codes because with that you can get going, you can go get a Canva subscription or however Canva works and you can sort of blood your way through it a bit. I think if you can have a professional logo, it implies that you've invested in yourself so other people should invest in you. Absolutely. And I know we've spoken about quality a little bit and I know this question has been asking, you know, what people, if they don't have the budget for a professional graphic designer what they can do I have to agree with what Eb said I think it is really important if you can initially work with um, a trained graphic designer because that's what they're trained to do they're trained in design thinking they you can tell them about who you are and what you want to do and they can actually help you develop a much more professional and effective brand so if you just start with the basics um, it gives you, I guess, a really good launch pad. And as long as you can stick to that quick style guide with how you're setting things up, 
um, it's going to really set you in good stead for the future. It really does set you up for professionalism. It's just, it's not really, it's a non-negotiable for me, but... Probably comes yeah. back to the starburst because there's something that you can easily do in something like publisher um, and they don't look as professional as something that has been... Yeah, polished. Yeah. Yeah. There's always another way about it that's prettier. <laughs> <laughs> what are the most important things to remember when deciding on your branding design? Is this going to translate across all mediums? You know, is it going to work on the sign on the front of the property? Is it going to work on my Facebook page? Is it going to work in my advertising? Um, Another good one to probably look at in this day and age, a lot of people when they're designing their logos will actually do both a stacked version and a horizontal version so mm -hmm. that when that logo is being used, particularly, I guess, in sponsorship scenarios, but on different sized assets, you can actually make the most of your logo display. So it's important to consider that when designing your logo. You don't want something that's just a great big block. You want to be able to use it to fill a space properly. I think a big thing is um, making sure it's not just built on the current trends. You know, your business isn't a trend. It's a lifestyle. It's, it's, it's important. You know, you don't want to last a year, then have to redo it and pay someone else to do it. You don't want it to be the fad. You want it to be timeless contemporary if that's classic. what you yeah you want it to be classic you want it to withstand a few years you know, well how long since we'd done the last angus australia one what 2001 i think it was we worked out we found some draft concepts that yeah. were sent to the office in 2001 so we think this one's held up pretty it's held well up pretty, for angus and australia a, and a few what 2016 we we added sort of a background asset to it and that really boosted its application that got it a bit bit further along than yeah, what it, it could have yeah. yeah you know you need to design for the future, not just for the next 10 minutes. Yeah. And I mean, if you like circling back to that first question I asked, if you think of some of the most sort of iconic brands that you can think of, how many iterations have they had really of a logo? Well, for, prime example, Qantas. Yeah. How long has that kangaroo lived but looks better every single time? Yeah, exactly. And they do. And little, Apple. Yeah. yeah. And Apple's an Apple. Exactly. They do slight, yeah, slight variations of the design. But it stays that core. And they all stay classic. Like, if exactly. you do it right, you can keep adapting it and it's just going to look yeah, better every and time. And it's just a case then of adapting your assets with, if you want to do a brand revamp or whatever, it's a case of then building off of that foundation that you have and doing slight tweaks. But if it's that classic, timeless sort of thing that you're looking for, you really don't have to make massive changes. Well, a pretty good example is the Young Australia brand. You know, it's always consistent, but it's designed to ever evolve and keep keep moving with the times and still but still stay classic, easily legible. Within the style guide. Within that style guide. <laughs> well, that's the thing, we've chosen assets and colours that we can work with and change layout, but it doesn't change the overall branding. And that is a big thing where if you can afford to work with a designer, they will keep evolving the brand and keeping you relevant and keep pushing it to where it needs to be. If you can afford it, if not you can Google it. Have a Google. See what you can do. See, what, see what's happening. Have a look on the creative market. They have good templates if you need it. Um, you know, there's always a way about it. So what are things to avoid when developing your branding assets? Fads. Oh, we've just covered that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, it really is. I think Eb's absolutely nailed it already in that previous um, question. Like, fads are definitely something, I guess, you can follow a little bit on social media. 
Um, it might be, you it's know, more a, tic- a TikTok dance or something like that that you're doing. <laughs> I know Shane doesn't want to introduce TikTok to Angus Australia just yet, but we'll, I don't know we're whether... working on it. <laughs> <laughs> but when it comes to the actual branding side of things, Eb's right. Just because there's a particular font, um, I don't know, a classic example is probably the Disney one that you see pop up all over the place and people start to use it on their own branding. Like to me, that's a bit of a fad and not something you want to be jumping on board with, you should be creating your own style. Because everyone looks at it and goes, that's the Disney font. Yes, absolutely. I Disney saw it font. on something yeah. the other day. I can't tell you what it was. using but... the Disney font. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, they're going to get sued. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's probably another thing uh, yeah, to, to let's avoid. Let's all not get sued. Is, uh, copyright, making sure that the things you're using, you're actually entitled to. So uh, there are fonts out there that you need to purchase. I'd also say, yeah, please purchase your fonts. Someone worked really hard to develop them. And also if you buy or use copyrighted ones or ones off a bad website, you will get a virus and lose everything on your computer. Don't copy, don't copy someone. You know, it's okay to take inspiration from them. Rule of thumb as a general design rule is you can take something if you need to, but you've got to change by up to 20% minimum. Um, don't do that. Just have a think for yourself. But it is okay to take inspiration from other people, you know. We have a black hide in Australia. We're not the only people who can have black hides. But look at a way to make it your own. Make it better. Make it... Unique. Yeah, it's got to be unique. So what are some designer pet peeves about branding that people could easily avoid themselves without much design experience? Don't use Comic Sans. I was going to say, don't use Comic Sans. Don't, <laughs> don't use Papyrus. Um, They're fonts, don't by use, the way, yeah. those that are Oh, sorry. We've <laughs> got a couple of designs. <laughs> Just... Don't go straight to the novelty fonts. If you don't know what you're doing, have a look at some more classic fonts. Go your Gotham, go your Trade Gothic, go your Helveticas, that sort of stuff. Don't do a Starburst, please. Um, there is other ways to do it. Think about how else you can communicate that idea. Put it, you know, work on a, not a box, but boxing a com- or compartmentalizing your idea and putting it in a different layout. Just have a think about how else you can sort of Get away from the old Starburst. I'm sorry if you love them. Um, Colour. We touched on colour earlier. It's keeping it consistent across everything you do. And knowing if it looks too bright on your screen. So if if you have a really dark black and a really bright red, if it looks funny on your screen, it's going to look funny on everybody's screen. It's going to confuse a lot of people's eyes. So if you don't think it looks right, it probably doesn't look right. Just something to think about. I have so many pet peeves. I guess it's probably rounding out the top ones. So. Yeah, that's just thinking. Do a quick fire off the top. <laughs> okay, text too small, text too big, text that's illegible, Starburst again. <laughs> Novelty fonts. Don't go on da font. It's a website. Don't go on that and find the weirdest display font you can find because it's not going to work. Um, don't cut the feet off your pictures of bulls. It really sets alarm bells off with people. Um, don't crop the faces out of them. You know, again, it sets alarm bells for people. Don't use low-res images in your designs. It really lacks the quality. Like, it shows... What's the word? Well, I guess lack of professionalism. Yeah. But also, if you're looking at a photo and it's blurry and you're trying to buy a bull and you're looking at it and the bull's blurry, you're going, I don't even... I'm not even going to... Can't see it. I can't buy him. He's blurry. (laughs) (laughs) It's really important to use high-quality photos. Yeah. 
And if you are taking them on your iPhone, which can take high quality shots, don't be zooming. Don't yeah. zoom. Don't zoom. I was going you to bring that to, to the top tips of social media. Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. It's all relevant. I mean, yeah. don't. What? And I've said it in an article before. They may look great to you out in the paddock. You're looking at them. They're clear as day for you. But if you're zooming in, Angus turn into just a little black, black blob. And, you know, we at, well, at, speaking from a designer, we can fix a lot of stuff. We can really budge our way through a bad photo. But at a certain point, it's, it's too far gone. We're just going to tell you to go retake it. So always use the highest quality, you know, videos, photos, anything you can. And also... Don't just slap your logo on. If you have an EPS, use the EPS. If you have a PDF, use a PDF. But if you have a JPEG and it's got a white background, please don't just put it on a picture. Try and get a PNG. <laughs> um, yeah, that's that's surely enough. I, I yeah, could keep, no, that I was could a keep going. Quick fire no, because <laughs> no, they were all relevant to people too. Because more often than not, they're just things that you don't think about. Hot tip. Not- hot tip. Auctions Plus. If you go to the website, they have a logo package. You can download it. It has PNGs. They don't have white backgrounds. Use it on all your marketing material. Good tip. <laughs> Obviously, provided you're using auctions plus. Oh, yeah. well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure elders actually elders does have them if you ask as well. Just look for the better option. That's probably a good thing to actually take away. Um, is that any of the agents that you're using, or whether it's auctions plus or elite livestock auctions, or any of those guys that you're working with contact them and ask them for their most up-to-date logo first and foremost because we have talked about or we're actually about to talk about brand refreshing but companies do change their logos so the one you were using from 10 years ago might not be correct but if the logo you've got is just not working just contact the company and also ask for high res yeah they'll get it to you yeah it, it is important it makes a huge difference you'd see time and time again how much better it looks when you got the nice clean options plus logo versus the one that someone found on the internet. It's it's really important. So, like Di just mentioned, uh, when it comes to refreshing your branding over time, when should people start to consider a refresh, or when should they be considering a brand redesign? Because there is a slight difference. You'll know when you've outrun your branding. You know it won't it won't convey what you want it to convey. It won't keep up in the current market do you know if you've got uh, a monotype corsiva sorry <laughs> again it <people> yeah <laughs> if you've got your font and it's it's the old angus head the, just the black silhouette you know it might be time to refresh i guess and also it's kind of easy as well if you're looking across the marketplace and i know that we keep harping on about competitors and stuff like that But if you're sort of looking at your branding or like an advert that you've done this year versus what other people sort of are doing and you can say in your own going, mine's standing out for being a little bit not with the times, the times, it can generally mean that maybe it is time to have a little bit of a look and a readjust and a re-evaluation of how you're doing your marketing. Yeah, so it's, yeah, it is. It's looking at that and going, are you just blending into the newspaper or are you standing out? But are you standing out for the right reasons? Or building on that, if you look at all these people's branding and everything, you think, gosh, I wish mine looked like that. I wish it looked so professional like that. It's time. Yeah. It's time to invest in yourself. Yeah. If, if you look at your work and it's, or your, your brand, 
and it's clearly not aged well or if even worse if you look at it and you cringe in comparison to, to more modern ones it's time and i guess an important thing to point out here is the difference between a refresh and a re- redesign yeah. a refresh is you know i like my brand i just need to tweak it a bit so it fits in more with the current market or you know i'm more headed in this happy tone sort of you know business model you know you, you might need to tweak it a little bit refresh it a bit so that it's, st- it's still the basis of your logo but has a facelift um whereas a redesign is i'm starting from the absolute beginning and we're going to build up from there you know take it right back strip it back and where do you want where do you want to start that that's that's the key difference do you want a little facelift or are you looking for a new body <laughs> good point <laughs> Right, so Kate, moving into your wheelhouse with video, in a scenario of a seed stock producer in the lead up to their sales and Ev2, because you have done this devil as well. In yes, dabble in it as well. Most Dem- people. I just said devil in it. I devil in it. <laughs> oh God, it's getting to that point of the podcast. <laughs> uh, so most people photograph their sale animals, but what is the benefit of also having video with these as well? Particularly at the moment, obviously we're in a bit of an age of online sales coming off the back of COVID, and obviously people couldn't get to the you know sales in person. So. What is the big benefit of having that video as well? I mean, as a producer who's buying these bulls, I mean, I know just in my personal experience, it's really hard to judge off of just a photo. Absolutely. And people can dress them up and make that one photo look amazing and you get there on the day and that bull looks nothing like what he did. And vice versa. The photo might not reflect how good that bull is either. You don't know what it's going to move like until you watch it. Do you know, I'll give you an example of this. I recently bought a horse in an online sale and the photos were dreadful. And I was like, who would buy this horse? And then I watched the video and I'm like, okay, well, I'm buying this horse. (laughs) (laughs) The way it moved, it made a big difference. And that's exactly the same with these bulls. You know, you're asking a lot of them. You're asking them to stand up year after year in your paddock. You need to know at the very least how it's going to walk up a hill. (laughs) You know, little things like that. It's really important to see how it actually... Muscle tone, everything, it can look really different in a photo. Yeah. I don't know how many times I've been asked to touch up the balls on a bull and it's like, well, in a video, that's a lot harder to touch up. You're going to know if there's a scar there. Yeah. yeah. COVID, I think, um, probably gave cattle producers the push they needed to properly go down the digital marketing path because a lot of people found themselves in bull sale season as COVID was hitting, particularly last year. Um, and they suddenly realised the importance of having both photos and videos because people weren't able to do the inspections they used to be able to do. People weren't able to get to the sales, so and a lot more people started using the online auction systems as well, so it just meant that they had to do both. They had to have the photo and then they had to have the video because that's how people did their inspections. Also, we're all pretty well aware of the prices that bulls in particular yeah people at the moment. people expect a certain and exactly a producer isn't going to want to put down a heap of money on a bull based off just a photo if they can't even they need to be able to see how it walks they need to be able to have a bit more of a basis of what the animal they're buying if they're spending you know quite a bit of money on an animal it's so much better for you to have that backup as well so that people are seeing what your animals look like you know and like you guys both said like it works vice versa yeah. in just if it comes down to a cost thing, like look, everybody has cost constraints. It's, it's a fact of life. 
it might be worth you even considering which one is more important to you. Maybe the video tells your story a lot better than that photograph ever could, and maybe that's where you need to put your money if it came down to a choice. But that's just something to think about. I'm starting yeah. to see a trend of that. So. And like you said with your horse, I'm speaking of it, particularly just being in the room with someone on an online sale that they haven't been able to get down to see the bulls, unfortunately, just because of COVID and whatnot. You know, people go, I wish I had a video of this bull. And it instills buyer confidence. And yeah. it, when you're asking for a fair bit of money, oh, that's the premium. That's, that's what you're after. You need that confidence that you're, they can trust you. It, it's a work and walk and bull. Yeah. And I'm actually going to answer your next question here with what I'm about to say about how you can incorporate video into your marketing. I think the way you've got to look at it is it's not just a one-shot fee that you're getting. You're getting that video and then you can use it across so many mediums. So you've got 100%. to look at it that way. It's an investment. It is an investment. It's not just looking at the physical cost. So first and foremost, if you're putting your catalogue online with Angus Australia, which you absolutely should be, you can load both those photos and videos. <laughs> just to cast back to the just, last couple of episodes of the podcast. Yes. If you want to our catalogue. Absolutely. <laughs> you can load both a photo and, the, and a video to each individual sale lot. In fact, you can do that for any of the animals that you own with that are registered with Angus Australia. It doesn't just have to be a catalogue. Those videos are then can be used across your social media channels. If you've got a website, you can put those videos up. You've obviously, well, to put them up on the Angus Australia database, you've put them on YouTube. So they're sitting there on YouTube for people to search for. You can put QR codes. Everyone knows how to use a QR code these days, but you can have a QR code that links back to specific videos in your catalogue. You can put them on your flyers. That is a QR codes, of course. So you're not just using them to load to YouTube or Vimeo. You, you, you can yeah. use them across so many different mediums. It really is part of your marketing strategy in the lead up to your sales. You can incorporate that. You go, well, I've got these, these sale videos of these bulls. I'm going to release one every week up until the sale or yeah. whatever. The, mm-hmm. the other know? thing is while you've got someone out there and you're videoing these sale bulls, perfect opportunity. Take some nice lifestyle shots because that is going to do the talking for you throughout the year. You know, you keep it for the next year. You do... Let the video do the talking. You don't need sale, sale, sale on your on your social media. You get just two or three little short social length video cuts of those bulls, and it does a lot more good for your brand than you'd think. It's it's just light, easy watching for everybody. You don't need to promote anything. You don't need any words on the screen. Happy bull sell. Everyone likes to look at pretty videos. They do. They animals. really do, especially some nice nice uh, golden light. Look, we've jumped into this, what's the simplest way to incorporate video into the marketing? Um, so I think these guys have really covered uh, your sale videos really, really well. Um, but on a day-to-day basis, I think what you really should be doing is your day-to-day videos. So whether that's hey, everyone, good morning, this is what the day looks like today, or hey, let's go and check out the girls, see what they're doing today, that sort of stuff. Uh, People love that, and it doesn't have to be long. You know, a 30-second video is perfect, and you can shoot it on your phone. Uh, For those sorts of things, the the more casual videos, you can get away with that. I, I definitely... You know, if, if you're doing your, your big important sale of the year, definitely invest in someone who is professionally trained. Um, but for your day-to-day video, absolutely do it yourself. Yeah, and we're definitely seeing across social media channels that um, the algorithm is starting to favour 
those short, sharp videos. Yeah, videos, reels. And reels. Reels. TikTok videos. Yes. <laughs> Honestly, though, those those join me for the day videos on TikTok, gosh, yeah. they all responded too well. Hook, line, and sinker. Everyone loves it. As I said, everyone, everyone's busybody. They want to know what you're doing. People love it. And you can do some really fun stuff with that. Mm. You don't have to dance. Yeah, no, it's not always always about dancing. Di's giving me the side eye. (laughs) We'll have some dancing TikTok videos one day. If you're going to do them, (laughs) Di. So the next question is, what is the biggest video faux pas? And Kate kindly pointed out that I actually spell faux pas wrong on the wrong (laughs) sheet. So you can tell me that was a faux pas. So (laughs) so sorry about that, Kate. But uh, what is the biggest video faux pas that producers should avoid? Number one, bad sound. Um, I've always said, and it was drilled into me when I went through film school, you can have the best video quality in the world, but if your sound is crap, your entire thing is crap. Um, So if I'm planning a day to go out filming, the first thing I do is check out, okay, what is the wind doing? What is the weather doing? Uh, Because... If the wind picks up and gets in your microphone while you're trying to speak uh, and you get that horrible wind sound and everyone knows what I'm talking about, it's it's not worth it. You are better off waiting for a day where that you're not going to have that wind blasting through or doing it inside if you need to. Um, that will improve your quality overall by so much. You can actually have a crappy looking video but as long as your sound is good, that's fine. But if your sound is bad, everything is bad. The only, the only objection to that is sort of these days, if you're putting like a nice scenic sort of video on TikTok, everyone expects these trendy songs. Is sort of, that's your way out there, isn't it? Like if it's oh. not someone talking, if it's just a general, I'm walking through the paddock, you might get lucky there. Yeah. You can, in that sort of situation, you'd remove the sound altogether yeah. uh, and put music over the top. Um, do recommend licensing your music though, uh, you know, using the latest top 10 hits without permission isn't going to get you very far. No, about five seconds on YouTube before it's flagged and taken down. <laughs> yes. And about the same on Facebook. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Actually, um, my reels are good. <laughs> reels will save you that. <laughs> Those quick little 10 seconds. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, Kate, what are some tips and tricks for someone who is looking to delve into recording themselves on various forms of equipment? So from a camera through to a phone. Number one... Use a tripod if you're going to be filming anything for any length of time. So if I'm going out into a paddock and I'm filming someone talking, I will make sure my camera is on a tripod and it's nice and steady uh, because that, you know, really wobbly looking footage is distracting and it's going to take away from your the message that you're trying to convey. If you are using a phone... Um, you know, it's it's time to upgrade from the iPhone 3. If Are you looking at me because I still have a home button on my iPhone? <laughs> That's so cute. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I, actually, I can't say that. My, my flicky thing doesn't work very well on my brand new one. We all know a few people that have still got very old iPhones. Yeah, yeah. but if you're, if you're filming on it and you watch that footage back and it looks kind of grubby, like, you know, the lens is dirty and it's a bit smudged and it's a bit yucky, it's time to invest in a new one and that investment is absolutely worth it if you're using those videos for your brand identity uh, so on your social medias or and even if it is only a five second clip that you're using here and there um, the quality that a new phone will bring you and it doesn't have to be a brand new phone it, it can be a you know a more recent one um, but 
that a nice, crisp, clear picture uh, is going to get you a hell of a lot further. If someone wanted to say, get some really nice footage, you know, they're getting their sales prep for the for bull sale season and they don't have the money to spend on a professional videographer, what do you think about people hiring a nice, good quality camera just to use for a few days to get that quality content for them? What are the settings they should be yeah. looking to use? Look, there's... If you're filming on the nice day, so you've, you've looked at the weather and you, you've gone, right, okay, the wind's not blowing a gale, um, there's nothing wrong with setting it on auto, actually. Um, you can just switch it on, set it on auto. Put it in the sun first. <laughs> don't, don't put it in the shade. Yes. Think about where you're standing. Try to avoid dappled sunlight because that's, you know... I was going to ask what are, the, auto. what are the best times and conditions that you should be i mean that that's the thing about uh where we are as well is when you're filming angus cattle they are black and black on a shady day or you know black in the shade it's not going to come up very well so um middle of the day nice nice and bright is absolutely fine um Actually, I'm about to go out and film a video straight after this, and I have purposely waited for later in the afternoon for that what we call the magic hour, which is when the sun gets golden that hour. perfect um, uh, level, and you know the the golden light starts to come through. That is also very pretty. But yeah, number one thing for me is just make sure that you're not kind of half shadow, half light, and getting like that mixture. That that doesn't look pretty. Um, and one little hot tip, if you are going to video your own bulls at home, don't ever do it in front of a silver shed. Black cattle on silver in the sun do not work. It is going to be really hard to see. <laughs> yeah. Good tip. Good tip. Learn, learn, from, learn from that situation. Past experience. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'd also add in, if you're going to be uh, talking to someone, so you might be going around um, talking to the people in your operation, uh, it's also worthwhile investing in a decent microphone. I'm not saying the most expensive microphone, uh, but one that is, once again, going to get you the best sound. Um, so we use Rode microphones here, uh, and I use them as lapel microphones that I put on people. I actually hide the microphone, so most of the time, if you're watching my videos, you can't even see that they're mic'd up. Uh, but the difference that that makes in also improving your sound quality, which also improves your overall quality, is absolutely a million times worth it. And you can plug those into your phone. It's not just into a camera. You can plug it into your phone and do a quick little social media video just using your iPhone and a little lapel mic. And just a little thing that people should probably be aware of, when you are taking these photo, uh, videos for social media... Have a look, check your surroundings. Is there anything that people might say, mm, that drench gun's been sitting in the dirt? Or why is there blood on this race behind me? You know, we all know what's going on. Some people, You don't know who's going to see it on your social media. It is important to be aware of your surroundings. Just let's all put a positive... Best foot forward. Yeah, let, let's mm. all just put a positive sphere into the world because you just never know. Someone might take it the wrong way. Everyone's going to be a bit cautious these days. So important these days. Yeah, particularly because... Unfortunately, our industry is under constant surveillance. It's under scrutiny. It yeah. is. And there's a lot of people... People look for an issue. Yeah, they do. And it's unfortunate. And you'll see on certain agricultural 
social media accounts and stuff like that, that there are certain groups of people that will comment. That's, that's like their full-time job is exactly, to search, just to search his content. Exactly. So you really try to avoid giving them any reason to want to do if you, or if comment you or... If you look twice at it, you don't put it up. Exactly. If you think, oh, this might not be. So we don't put up deep warning videos or pictures, people. Yeah, because that is a point of contention. (laughs) That's a conversation, not a, uh, you don't record it. So what are some ways that videos has been used in beef businesses that has impressed you guys as videographers? MLA. (laughs) The MLA, their producer stories have just been excellent and really tell that nice side of, of, of the beef industry. And it goes for their sheep producers and goat producers. We can't forget goat. Uh, I think for myself, um, look, you don't have to uh, stay within the country or even your breed uh, to look for inspiration for videos. But uh, for myself in particular, uh, American Angus do some really incredible things that I have tried to emulate, I'll, I will admit. <laughs> um, and also... And they're a similar thing to sort of, sorry to cut you off, but the MLA, they do a lot of storytelling in yes. those videos, the well, American Angus guys. Is the so most basic key to good video. American Angus, if you're listening, we'd love to... <laughs> love to collab. Love to collab. Uh, <laughs> send us a camera guy. <laughs> uh, but yeah, just... The way they incorporate those little detail shots uh, in the overall story, uh, you know, just putting the time and the effort in to really polish those final videos uh, and to do some you know, quick little fancy effective uh, things. Uh, even like most recently I've been doing um, performance recording and the way they've done theirs has been just, you know, chef kiss. <laughs> um, and then on the completely other side of the coin, I'm going to throw it out there. I, I have really appreciated the fact that ABS do a really fun video for Spring Ball Night for us. Um, for their promotional videos. For their promotional videos. They're fun, they're silly, they're irreverent. But the fact that they take the time to do it, I, I completely appreciate that. Uh, you know, it's so easy to be all business, all professional, all serious all the time. But to to be able to make fun of yourselves is takes it to a whole nother level. And also note that every single one that we've spoken about is really circling back to that evoking feelings in people. Key messages. Yeah, really bringing back to that. Key messages and storytelling. Yeah, that feel that people get from it's really... engaging in your content. Pretty much connect, connect to someone's emotive side and they're going to remember you. If you can't pull on that heartstring or if you can't trigger resonate that, with yeah. it, you need to trigger that emotional response or else you're just someone in the white pages, really. Exactly. Is it white pages or yellow pages? Yellow pages. If you, you can't. <laughs> yellow pages. <laughs> we all knew what you meant. <laughs> Well, so moving on from video, we're going to probably move into a little bit more social media based. We've touched on social media a couple of times already and its importance nowadays in the sort of business landscape. Um, So just some tricks for social media, I guess we've touched on it. Reminding yourselves that if you have a business page set up for your business, keep it kind of to that business. You can tell personal stories on there. You can really... It's tying into that emotive thing, telling your personal story, but it isn't your personal page. It's not your personal identity. 
it's your business identity. So making it professional and keeping it to that, as we've pointed out numerous times, don't put anything on that page that doesn't represent your business well. It's your, it's the face of what you're putting out to your consumer. And if someone thinks that there's something on there that they think is a little off, they're going to completely just go, that doesn't really abide by or suit what I think a business should be. You know, a really good example of this would be your, if say you had a stud business page on Facebook and Instagram, you promote a 20% about your sales and you know, heifers for sale and auction spots, all that sort of jazz. Probably about 60%-ish, would you say, about just general content and that other percentage. You know, if you're going to a conference that relates to your field, great, put it on because that's an educational source and that is where it's helpful to have a bit of a personal side. Like, I went here and I learned this. Yeah. Would you agree? Like, Yeah, and giving maybe a little insight to something important that's happened in your life. And it gives yeah. that sort of face behind the business. Or why you're doing something. Yeah, exactly. Or if you've done a development opportunity for yourself, kind of like a conference, but if yeah. you have, you know, done something that you've got a good takeaway from, post about it. But make sure probably, you know, if there's really, really personal things that might be a little bit more like a laugh. Yeah. Um, Not everybody has your sense of humour. Exactly. It can really fall short. Nothing political, guys. Let's, yeah. Let's not, let's not do that. I think it's important, though, that is, you know, there's those times that, like, maybe you're out in the yards and something funny happens and it's one of those in-the-moment things and you capture and it's quite good. If yeah. it is appropriate, you can post that kind of thing. It might be a story, though, not a post. So, yeah, you know, yeah, always exactly. think about that. If if you're not sure how it's going to sit in a week or two weeks, put it on your stories. Twenty four hours, people can have a laugh. They and, move on. And speaking of stories, a day in a life via a story can be Love a really, that. really cool thing to watch. Mm-hmm. As yeah. a consumer, as somebody that you want to, you know, identify with your clients, they want to see what you're doing on the day to day. They want to see what you're, you know, how you the, your cattle are going in the lead up to your sale. Particularly if they're, you know, a repeat purchaser, they want to see what's going on. And it's a really quick, easy way of doing it. It's a tiny little snapshot gone in 24 hours, but it's just a good way to keep people up to date. And, you know, if you have a friend you want to support them, if you're at their bull sale, put up a story tag. It does not hurt to help your friends out because they'll do the same for you. Another cool one, if you're dropping bulls off, if you're doing deliveries after sale and you're in some obscure place in Australia, Mm. post about it. Let people know. It puts your name out there. People in the area can be like, oh. They're here. That's cool. Yeah. They do deliver up to here. Gets out your services. That kind of things are really things cool. That sticks with your yeah, memory. Really cool way of doing it. And like, say you're a stock carter. If you if, if you can't cart a load of camels or something, that's a good thing to put on your Facebook page because it sets your part. It's a bit quirky. You know that that sort of personal stuff. That's fun. That's still yeah. business. It's still fair game. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, also, some other tips: identifying top posting times. More often on business pages, um, you do have the benefit of analytics. Analytics are a great way um, of sort of identifying your top top performing uh, posts and sort of uh, things that your target audiences or your followers um, are really engaging with. And it's a really, you don't have to know the ins and outs of it to sort of know the basics. Um, and a lot of those sort of analytics spaces on your apps um, identify top posting times for your followers. So those are the times that you should be sort of posting stuff. If you're trying to do these are kind of in particular, I would say around sale time. If you're trying to really get that top information out there, if you're trying to schedule things out and make it so that you're kind of really reaching your audiences at peak times. 
And the other thing to remember is you don't have to, if you're a small scale business or just don't care about your social media, you don't have to invest in a social scheduling platform like Buffer or what's that bird one? Well, actually, a lot Hootsuite. of Hootsuite. You don't have to invest in Hootsuite or Buffer or anything. Facebook yeah. Meta Business Place is it's so good. Yeah, it so really gets you out of your out of trouble. Yeah. So to explain that a little bit, Facebook, which is also tied in with Instagram, if you've got both accounts, have their own business suite that allows you to schedule posting, it's free. see your analytics, and it's all included in your page, in your business page. So um, that's a really, really easy way of just jumping on there um, and having a look and scheduling that kind of stuff if you're inclined to do that. And it will and, you know, go it's through. Easy. Yeah. Yeah. It's and it just goes an through your, your audience's, you know, viewing times and it does suggest it based on your exact audience, which yeah, is really exactly. helpful. Yeah. And it's easy. And User yeah, friendly. that means like I keep half circling back to sale period, but I guess that's a, one of the most imperative times for a producer and it's probably when they're doing their most social media sharing. If you do it at the beginning of the week, you take an hour outside to sort of schedule a bunch of videos and stuff like that to roll out at certain times, you don't have to think about it again. It's done then and you've got your social media sort of strategy set up for the next couple of weeks. And if you don't really care to sit down and do that remember you can outsource you can outsource anything yeah you can you can say to get your local kid to do it you know you can hire a professional it's up to you but you can just pay someone then it's off you know you don't have to worry about it there's always that option it doesn't have to be scary yeah another thing is identifying the platforms that your clients use it would be worth having a look and seeing Um, If you've got sort of repeat clients or if you're just going out and having a chat with them and stuff like that, if you know that they are Facebook users in particular, maybe it's worth targeting Facebook for your social media strategy or Instagram or whatever it may be. So just identifying the top ones that your um, clientele are using because, you know, it could be a wasted resource to be trying to input a lot of time and effort into a certain platform that you're not getting much return on due to the fact that your clients or your target audiences actually don't use it and that's identifying also with your target audiences for when you're building that brand identity like it's good to know you know age groups and stuff like that which is all available actually on analytics if you're ever looking at them and so is your post reach which is really important so you know your images might be doing well on instagram which they're going to but you might find your videos work really well on Facebook. You don't need to put the same content out on both channels. It's okay. They even do variations of the same content for different... Because yep. you might have the same followers on both. You need to think about that. Don't post the same thing at the exact same time on, you know, on your different platforms. Moving on to your content quality. So this is circling back to what we've already discussed about image quality, video quality. It's not always the quantity of the post that you're posting. It is the quality. It's making sure that there is good grammar. It's making sure yes. that there is... Spell check, please. Yeah, just having a look. You can use emojis and stuff like that, but make sure they're relevant to what you're talking about. It's making sure that what you're actually posting in the content is quality content. That is what you would expect a business to be posting in order to sell their product. And you're going to come back to it, but don't just hashtag everything you see in the picture. If you're on Instagram, hash relevant things, not just... Red balloons, because there's a red balloon in the background. 
Good point. <laughs> Another great one to do when on social media to develop that social media presence is engaging with your followers and your clients. So if you know your clients have a social media account, comment on it, like it, uh, share it if it's stuff that's relevant to you, particularly, for example, if they're using genetics that you know are yours. Especially success stories. Yeah, success stories are a great Good thing. sale results, auctions plus Exactly. Share those results. Exactly. Sharing your own sale results, sharing your client sale results. If you can, like like I've just said, good news stories are a yep. great thing. If you've got those testimonial style situations where you have a photo that a client has sent through of a gra- of you know a calf on the ground using your genetics, that's you know a real bumper calf. Post about it. Let people know. Like. It's great to be able to have that reaffirming information and testimonial style stuff that, you know, people can then also engage with. And it's that word of mouth side of things too. Another instance of uh, being able to use it across multiple platforms. So you can have a video telling people about it, but also the photo that the client has shared with you and a news post about it. You know, use it in multiple ways and that will increase the content that you're putting out. And the other thing is, it's a bit—it's a bit about client re- relations as well. You know, if you share a cust like someone who's bought your genetics and they're selling on, you know, don't make it about yourself. Just share it. Make it nice about them because that's going to come back and people are yeah. going to remember that you're not all about. Yeah. This is about me. It's about them. It's sharing them your it. su- it's sharing it's, successes. Their success is your yeah, success. Exactly. You know? A great example of that is you know. Feedlot competitions if you know that your client has done well. Yeah, perfect. Yeah. Share it. Share about it. And that'll make them feel really valued as a customer yeah, as well. Yeah, and they'll engage in your content too, bump up your engagement levels. It goes a long way, a little share. Yeah, exactly. And like you said about post reaches and stuff like that, like the more you're sharing, it's called a social media network for a reason, the yeah. more you're commenting. And tag everybody. Yeah. Just tag away. Yeah, <laughs> tag exactly. Away. Elders love being tagged. Tag them. <laughs> <laughs> it's all about spreading things far and wide so the more that you're tagging and sharing uh the more chance that you have of people seeing putting their eyes on your brand content uh and that is always a good thing yeah exactly and you are opening yourself to the audiences of other people when you are sort of engaging with you know your followers and stuff like that and it doesn't actually just have to be about your clients if you see something in your local community that's gone down really well please share it you know Boosting your community boosts you as well. Hashtags, we've talked about them already and I have been specifically told by Diana Wood that I must mention hashtag Angus Premium. All of our members, all Angus producers, please hashtag your photos Angus Premium because, you know, it's the the done thing to do. It's the cool thing to do. (laughs) It's the cool thing to do. But it is a great point that hashtags are a really excellent way that people find content on social media they really do and don't forget you can follow certain hashtags yeah, exactly. you don't have to follow accounts follow the hashtag and see what everyone else is up to exactly you'd be surprised the amount of content you can find interesting content content from overseas i mean there's a lot of people overseas that even use hashtags like that and it's just an, a great way to be able to follow stuff that you're actually interested in if it is relevant to what you're posting about, hashtag it because then you find audiences that are actively engaging in what you are posting about, which opens you up to people that could potentially be a new customer. And think think about what you want to follow. If you want to follow agriculture on Instagram, then your followers probably do too. You know, it's all relative. And that goes for posting times as well sometimes. You know, you definitely got the analytics, but if you know for a fact that it 8.30 after you had dinner and you're sitting down for the night, you want to have a look through Facebook. You know, 
other people probably are too. Yeah. That's important to remember. Yeah, so hashtag everything and make sure it's hashtagging is pretty And make sure it's <laughs> relevant. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And like Ev pointed out before, make sure that it's relevant to what you're posting. Don't be just posting random hashtags because then you're opening yourself up to Ooh, a, a lot. A lot of <laughs> That's where you can get in trouble if you're posting something that yeah. is a little bit on the side of is this appropriate or not. If you hashtag the wrong thing, you could get eyes drawn in. Yes. And also sometimes it, it's just it's not gonna help you. It's just a waste of time. Yeah. <laughs> And finally, just on some little tips about social media, tracking your performance is a great way of identifying what your clientele and your followers and the people that are interested in your content are most interested in. So that's also seeing what attracts the attention, but also stuff that isn't super attention grabbing. Maybe you need to adjust the sort of things that you're posting that, you know, then gets the best return on what you're sort of putting out. So tracking what you're doing tracking to see what people are liking also looking at what's of interest in the industry at the moment if it's relevant that can be also really good to just keep an eye on the trends and stuff like that newsworthy things as well yeah it stops you from having that feeling of that you're just yelling into the void exactly. it shows you that people are engaging or that they're not <laughs> yeah and that means if you're doing it particularly if you're doing a focused strategy on how you're doing your social media if you're finding that you're not sort of and it does it is a building process Rome wasn't built in a and day it's a lot of trial and error yeah it's a lot of trial and error and that's important to just have a check you know every couple of weeks have a look at what you're doing and going maybe this isn't working I need to adjust how I'm strategizing my social media at the moment I think some people may think social media can be quite frivolous but it is actually a really great driver for your business and just having a little think about, particularly for your business pages, what you're posting, tracking the performance and stuff like that can really go a long way in building that audience that, you know, like I said, Rome wasn't built in a day, you start at zero followers. So getting a bit of an idea of what is most popular with what your followers are looking at is a great way to identify, you know, the best drivers for your audience. One thing that can be a little bit tricky when you get wrapped up in this process of analysing what you've done and how it's performed and that, never lose sight of your brand identity and yeah. why you're posting it because it's so easy to think, oh my gosh, I only got 30 likes on this when, you know, someone else got 50 on that. Like, what am I doing wrong? Maybe I should change my content. Well, yeah, have a think about what content it is, but don't forget why you're posting it. Maybe you just need to post it in a different manner. Yeah. And, you know, as Kate said, maybe maybe we need to put some video in there. Like, maybe it's just the way it's been presented doesn't suit the audience. Diversifying your assets is a great way of just giving a bit different perspective of what you're posting. And the other thing is that all of this is an investment of your time, and that does mean something. So if you're going to invest your time into doing building your social profile and everything, make sure it's productive time, like... You don't just sit there scrolling aimlessly. If you're going to scroll and look for inspiration, make sure you actually have a bit of a goal and you're writing down some notes because you're investing your time and you're losing your time. It's up to you. Yeah, exactly. And, and it's also another thing is the fact that so many people will start out going, oh, yeah, you know, I, I'm going to go and post a daily blog or oh, that's not weekly. Oh, that's sometimes. And yeah, you get yeah. over that real quick. Yeah, get over that real quick. 
you've got to remember that this is your time and you might start really well but is it something that you can maintain and be consistent with um you know give it a go absolutely i'm not saying don't do that definitely have a go but you also got to look at what actually fits in with your lifestyle because your business is your lifestyle and your return on investment of your time yeah yeah it is People really forget that their time is an investment, so yeah. you need to know where you're placing it is the appropriate choice. Exactly. And don't forget, you can get help, like outsource if you need it. Yes. <laughs> so moving on to digital marketing, which kind of falls into a couple of different camps, but we'll start with websites. When it comes to designing a website, what are some main do's and don'ts and what should you consider? The biggest thing that I would do is make sure everything is easily accessible. People want to know where to find you. Great, have a contact contact us page. Perfect. They want to know what who you are, where you're from, and what's special about your cattle. Having about us. Do you know what I mean? Keep it simple. Always keep your bull sale to have up to date. Don't have 2021's information point. when it's 2022 and we're looking for your bull sale information. Particularly if you've started advertising yes. that bull sale and you're directing traffic back to your website, just make sure that website is up to date with the information that you're trying to give to people clicking on your adverts and stuff like that because otherwise it's actually kind of it's a pointless exercise. Exactly. It's a waste of money in your advertising if it's not communicating what you need it to and it's also... You know, people want up-to-date information and they want it there and then. The thing is, if I go to someone's website and say, right, I need to know how many bulls, when the date is and everything because I'm going to mark it in my calendar, you have a very limited window of that person's attention. If you don't have that information ready, you're done. I don't think they're going to come back from, from, unless, they, unless they're really keen. Yeah, you know, really if, invested in that. Unless product, they're yeah. very invested, you know, you might have lost a potential sale. Yeah. yeah. And it might not even be a sale this year. It could be in three years' time, but they're keeping tabs on you. You need to just maintain that relationship even if you don't know they're there. So having old information on your website is absolutely detrimental, like Ebony is saying. Uh, you get on there, you don't have the current information, you've lost that person. Um, you may as well not even have a website if you're not going to keep it up to date. And again, exactly. it just pays someone to look after it for you if you need help. Yeah. There's no shame in it. It's not that expensive in the scheme of things, really. Yeah. But the other thing is... Just keep your website basic rather than overcrowded. People would rather have a nice, some nice pictures, nice, easy to read text than bam here, bam there. Everything's, you know, when you don't know where to look, it's worse than not having anything at all. Exactly. And also another great point is, and I, I feel like if multiple times people go to your website and find the same thing, then people are going to go, they never update their website. I'm not even going to bother. And it doesn't look And then it's a complete waste sort of of that resource that you've got and you've also invested time and money into getting a website yeah exactly. that's the hard part getting getting started that's the hard part updating that's the easy part exactly the other thing is though you don't need don't to do all seriousness people like blogs if you want to keep a blog on there that's great older generations might prefer to see your updates on that than go through facebook and and you know it just also Read your audience, see what they're into, see how, see what your other competitors' websites are doing and see what their responses are. And take feedback too. If yeah. you've got clients that, you know, buy from you every single year or if you've got new people at your sale is a good example and you're talking to them, if they tell you, I went on your website and just found take that information and run with it. It's not that, mean, it's, it's them it's helping. It's constructive. It needs to be functional because Google takes that into consideration. Yeah. If you've got broken links, if you've got photos that aren't displaying, 
and certain things like that, Google will take that into consideration. And if someone types up Angus Bulls for sale and your website's full of issues, it's not popping up in a Google yeah, search. Exactly. And do you really want people seeing it if it's like that? And just as a user functionality perspective, like I will often go to a website and look at it and if I don't think it's super functional, I won't use it. Sometimes it's just too hard. If, yeah, if I want if I want a phone number and I have to search for ten minutes, I'm I'm just losing interest. Yeah, you're exactly. gonna go and find another business to deal yeah, with, that's aren't easier. you? Yeah. yeah. So while you know it can seem like a mammoth thing to do, really, really important because like we've said before, social media and your website in this day and age is the first point of call for most people. But also back following on from that if you don't have the time to invest in a website, that is fine. A lot of people don't. As we said earlier in the podcast, Facebook is the main protocol for a lot of people. If you can maintain at least your social media presence in lieu of a website, that will get you by. And as long as you've got your contact details. Yeah, you need your contact details. Social media And you're maintaining that as well. Yeah, yeah. You, you need to maintain something. Everyone needs to know where to find you. If you've got a business, why would you hide it, you know? Exactly. And so there is the benefit of search engine optimization with your website. It may seem a little bit something scary. you wouldn't even scary, exactly. But there are simple ways to optimize search engines like Google and I guess Bing. Yeah, <laughs> it's not the first one that I fall to, but um, <laughs> um, but it, it starts by understanding how your customers behave, understanding their search behavior. Um, so that will give you an idea of keywords to use on your website. So Angus, if you're an Angus producer, is probably high up on that list. But yeah, just identifying sort of um, like Angus, Bulls, production, sales, that kind of thing is probably a good way of optimising search engines to sort of cater the algorithm to help you out a little bit. But then also keywords relevant to your business, your services, your location, any terms that the customer would search for as a keyword or phrase. So including that on your websites are probably a good way to trick Google into popping you up the top over someone else. But also just be careful not to overuse keywords because that can also have a negative effect on your search engine optimization. And refreshing your page content often. So that's what we've said, keeping it up to date, keeping it relevant. Like Di said, if it's not, if there's issues with it, you're going to disappear amongst the millions of other search options that pop up on Google. We all know how many there are when we search. So just making sure that you're staying up to date and keeping your content refreshed and relevant is a good way to optimize search engines. Sounds good to me. (laughs) And don't forget that YouTube is... Oh, we've something like the second or third top search engine after Google. So whenever you've done a search and a video has come up, that's because it's drawing from YouTube or somewhere like that. Uh, So if you're uploading videos on there, make sure you include those keywords because those are working for you as well. And people do really underutilize the headings and everything and comments and descriptions in YouTube. And finally, how can organic and paid advertising work to your advantage? So first and foremost, you're looking at that organic information. So organic advertising is where you are posting on your social media and you're, I guess, relying on your followers to see. You want them to obviously see it. You're relying on them to share it. You're relying on them to interact with it. And that means that that advertising you've put up is, I guess, moving across the internet 
organically. Your other options are, and you've got a few, you can either do it across your digital newspapers and whereby they can actually target, you can set a target audience. And so just because you advertise, for example, on one of the ACM newspaper digital um, sites, you can actually have that website, sorry, that ad, won't necessarily just appear in the land or the stock and land or the QCL, that ad can actually get pushed out across websites like news.com.au and pop up in Google ad searches and things like that because they can set up your key target audience. So they look at demographics, they look at where people are located. Um, so there's certainly opportunities like that. You've then of course got your boosting of posts on social media. So you may have designed a nice little um, graphic or advert promoting your bull sale and you want to get that out across to people who aren't just your followers. You want to get that out to, again, it's looking at demographics. So you might look at people on the east coast of Australia but are located in regional areas, but you also only want it to go to people from the ages of 18 to 75 or something like that. And you can, again, look at interest groups. Like you can look at people who are interested in cattle or beef cattle or farming or agriculture and things like that. So I guess it's getting more bang for your buck. So rather than just going, I just want to boost this to everyone and anyone, the ad's then shown to people who you might not be, who might not actually care that you're having a bull sale. So you've got a few options there to look at. Or might not be big on beef cattle. Well, exactly. They might be people... Um, who really have an issue with agriculture and um, they're still going to come from the algorithm as being beef, beef, in, beef industry in general. No, well, no, that's the opposite thing. You can actually ask your ads to not show to certain people. So if people have got an interest in, I guess, anti-farming, um, then you can ask those ads not to be shown to those type of people as well because obviously you don't want to have negative interactions because that can significantly... Well, that is handy to know. Yeah. So um, it's not as scary as it seems, boosting and, posts and on social media. You can have a play with it for five bucks. Oh, exactly. Yeah. You can have spend five dollars. If you don't find any return on your investment, then you don't, you do, don't it have again. To do it again. Yeah. Or you have another play and just see what you can do. But yeah, there's certainly a lot of options for actually targeting specific audiences. It can be a bit exciting seeing the results. Yeah. It Something. is. We did a, um, some posts, did some boosted content last year around bull sale season, just pushing the benefits of angus cattle and we got a lot of interaction out of that and some of it may have been from people who were not angus supporters but by them interacting with our advertising it actually meant that it gained more traction and more people were seeing it so it, it really can be a good way and quite a cheap way to reach a larger target audience it does plant a seed in someone's head though when they are interacting when they're not usually going to with that sort of situation. Yeah, absolutely. In 10 and years, they might buy an Angus. We had, we had it set up so that people weren't necessarily searching for Angus. They might have been searching for another breed of cattle, but our ads popped up yeah. in their searches. I was looking for potty calves on Facebook Marketplace, and funnily enough, the Angus premium ads that I had designed kept popping up everywhere. So it, do, it does definitely work, and it is quite funny even when you're not looking for a specific breed, not that I was, um, just, just... It was, serving, it was serving the ads to someone with an interest in cattle. Yeah. So that's... It did exactly what we wanted. Yeah. Yeah. Well, is there anything else that you guys wanted to leave with the listeners today as we wrap up this quite a lengthy chat we've had? <laughs> My... I have four key concepts that I always encourage people to think about when it comes to 
branding and marketing and everything that goes with it. You need to think about quality, you need to think about consistency, you need to think about style, and most importantly, you need to think about how your brand makes people feel. Coming right back to the very beginning when Ebony spoke about the handshake, everything you do in your business and promoting your business is going to elicit a response from someone. So you really need to be on top of how what you are doing in the marketplace makes people feel. My key take, well, what I'd love for you all to take away is don't be afraid to ask for help. There are people that are specialised in this for a reason. You need to do what's best for your business. Even if it's for the first year, you get some help and then you ask them for ways to, you know, set up some templates or how can I do this myself next year? Nobody cares. They are happy to help you. They don't mind if you're a short-term client or a long-term client. You just need to do the best for you and asking for help usually does help that. I think my one has always been... If you present someone with a two-page document or a two-minute video, they're going to go for the video. Uh, so, you know, it's in my own interest. But, <laughs> but video is always worth checking out. No, and it's true. I think what you probably hit on there, that it's important when it does come to your marketing and branding to not just be looking at one medium. You need to be considering every single option and medium that's available to yeah, you. Yeah, don't rule out the people who do want to pick up the two-page document. Say, I like reading. <laughs> no, exactly. Everyone receives their information or likes to receive their information differently. So it's important to remember that. Don't cut corners because you might decide that video is easier or the two-page document is cheaper. You need to have both of them because you are going to have people who want to read it. You are going to have people that want to watch it. Yeah, it is important to cater for everyone. And while I agree, most people will pick up that video. I don't know there's something about me that likes to come back to things, whereas I find it a bit harder with video. It is catering for everybody. Just bouncing off of what everybody's also said, it's maybe just having a bit of a sit down right at the beginning when you're identifying all this and just thinking of that big picture, thinking about what you kind of, I guess it sounds a bit cringe, but the legacy that you want to leave for your business because this is your baby absolutely it comes back to strategizing which we spoke about and while even if it's on a big scheme or little scheme just strategizing those messages that you want to leave with you know the consumer at the end of the day the customer at the end of the day that's who you're catering for the whole way through so just having a think a good hard think right at the beginning and then reevaluating that throughout and just always keeping sort of goal orientated, I guess, is a big thing. And also, yeah, just remembering that it's your story. This is you at the end of the day. Well, that's the thing. You have a goal. You have an end game. And so through this whole process, that's what you should be working towards. Yep. Which is exciting. It is exciting. Get, get your brand identity sorted, everyone. Really exactly. Exciting. Whether you're cu- many, it is many fun. years. And it's the case of even if you're many, many years in. It's you always know? okay to look it's, back and check in where you are. Yeah, exactly. It's good to... Just, you know, reevaluate all the time as well. Yeah. So thank you guys for joining me today. I've appreciated listening to all of your opinions in this little discussion. I hope our listeners got something out of it. I'm sure they will. And um, yeah, thanks again for joining me. I've had a lot of fun. Thank you, Shane. Thanks, Shane. Thanks, Shane. <laughs>
If you want more tips and tricks and information on marketing and branding as an Angus producer, jump online to the Angus Australia website and visit the marketing tab where we have a number of resources available to producers to assist them on their branding and marketing journey. And that's all we have time for. Make sure you subscribe, rate and review the podcast and follow Angus Australia and Angus Youth Australia on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter and LinkedIn. Thanks again and we'll catch you on the next one.